every player, without doubt, every single player, your Ronaldo's, your Messi's, all these guys, at times, without doubt, they will still experience the shackles being on. But they'll have more experiences, they'll probably have different reference points in order to release them a wee bit quicker than maybe someone who is playing, in your example, um, an internet or a, sorry, a competitive debut. And he's here, he is here. Cristiano has entered the building. Yes, guys, welcome back to another episode of Skullbird. Today, we have John Johnson on, and he is uh, someone who I've worked with uh, previously. I've, I've spoken to him for actually probably around four years, three or four years now. I think the first time I messaged him on Instagram. So for me, a lot of the the processes, the principles, everything that I've learned uh, in in football and in a mental aspect, it had it has actually been quite largely influenced by John. So for me, this is a it's really cool to get him on and for you guys to actually hear all the valuable insights that he's got. We can learn a lot of things, right? All the people, all the guests that we have, we can take golden nuggets from every single person. And as I said, John is someone who I worked with for. Yeah, it's some, quite a long time. And today it's, it's going to be really, really great to hear how we can deal with opinions and how we can, you know, really, really unleash ourselves to get the most out of uh, our football and, and life in general. So that being said, John, if you can uh, introduce yourself to our audience, tell uh, tell them who, who you are, who you stand for and what you do. First of all, I just want to say thanks for having me on, boys. As you've introduced myself, my name is John Johnston and I am a mental skills coach working with professional footballers the last six or seven years. So I'm not a psychologist, but if you were to kind of categorise the work that I do, you'd be going down the route of a psychologist. Um, so the last six, seven years I've been working with professional footballers. But to start out with before that, I, I kind of started at grassroots levels. So... Basically, I never had any clients. I had this, I had this belief, I had this way of working, and a belief that it would help professional footballers. But I never had any clients at that point. So what I done every night, I used to throw the TV in the back of the car, and I'd go around local sports clubs, mainly football clubs, working with kids, working with parents, working with coaches. But whilst I was doing that, I was reaching out to professional footballers through email, through letters, through social media, you name it. And then I think it was after about 800 contacts, I eventually brought my first professional footballer on board. And it's funny because obviously the topic of today's podcast is talking about opinions. And I might be getting my dates wrong here, but I think it must be going back six, seven years ago. I remember doing a call with someone explaining what I was doing, um, explaining the line of work I was trying to get in, into, and it was a former professional footballer in Scotland. So I live just outside to the east of Edinburgh, and speaking with a professional footballer, or a former professional footballer at that point, he told me no footballer will ever pay me for what I have got, try cricket or try golf. And I'll be honest, when I heard that on that call, it was... It was a bit of a knife into the gut. It was a bit kind of gut-wrenching. But thankfully I gathered myself together just shortly after the call. And six, seven years later, I have professional footballers who have played in the Champions League, represented their country in the Euros, 
um, played European finals, played in leagues like the English Premier League and six, seven years later I'm still doing the thing that this guy told me that no footballer would ever pay me for. So hopefully that's a kind of a long, short way of introducing myself. But to summarise it, I'm a mental skills coach working with professional footballers across the world. It's brilliant. Uh, I love every time we hear that story because I, I, I know the story and it's uh, it, it, re- it resonates with me quite a lot, the uh, proactive nature that you had with you know, reaching out to all of the, I mean, I, from memory, I believe that uh, you even were speaking with rugby um, people for a while and you were just getting getting your foot in the door. I remember uh, just your, your proactive nature to speak to people, just try and get your foot in the door, as I've been saying. And it reminds me of the way that I've done my football career uh, with LinkedIn. I had 17,000 followers like a few days ago and it, it's, it's really what's established my football career at the moment and it's what's kept me going and I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the thing that gets me my first professional contract as well and this is something that not many people will even realize it's that you actually have to do a lot of the work for yourself it's creating your own luck and uh, I honestly do think that I definitely got some of that from um, your own lessons John so it was it, it's always a, a pleasure when I, I hear that story because I, I feel like I can resonate with it quite a lot. De- definitely though and what I would say is I'm kind of six, seven years down the line with what I'm doing. Um, It's not changed a great deal, to be fair, in what I'm doing, but I look back on some of the things that I've done in the very early days. Like, I'd I'd done talks for rugby clubs. I remember being invited along to do the first... It was the first team talk of the new season. Now, I watch rugby, but I don't really know the rules. And I said to the coach, I'm like, I'll just catch you there. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on holiday. I won't be there. And I'm like, cool, I'll speak to the assistant. He's like, oh, he's working that day. And then I think it turned out to be the third coach. So I was, I think back now and I'm like, what was I doing? But that was, I remember doing the first, it was a new season and the first team talk of the new season for this rugby team. But even like, say, hockey, still got pictures. It was, I remember, I think it was like an under-14s girls rhythmic gymnastics. And these were sessions I wasn't getting paid for, but I was just looking and, it was it was getting getting the reps in. It was getting my message out there. It was kind of turning up, free charge, driving here, there, and everywhere. But it was just it was experience, and it was just a chance for me to go right. I've got these beliefs. I've got this way of working that. And whether it's I'm solely in professional football now, but I could take what I do to hockey. I believe I believe I could take it to rugby. But the only difference is with esports, I don't have the love. I don't have the passion. I've been a I've been a football nut for as long as I can remember. I'm now 34, so if I took it into hockey or I'd take it into rugby, I've not got the passion. I've not got the kind of fan experience that I have of being a, um, involved in football. But you look back on your journey and you do think, why was I doing that? But thankfully, everything that I've done back then has led me to a point that I'm quite happy to be at for now. Yeah, hundred percent. It's as I said. It's, it's brilliant to hear you know the personal anecdotes because everyone's got a story right and it, it's a it's a great uh insight to how you were making you know your dreams a reality and i know that you were heavily invested in in football and as you said you know these these areas that you're working on specifically can translate to any aspect of life sport anything so it's it's really uh a valuable lesson for even our, our listeners just to hear that 
working on you as an individual. I, I remember, John, you said um, that you went to Thailand, was it, um, for a self-improvement thing? And this was, this was at the very beginning of kind of your uh, career. And it's just you working on yourself to, you know, make sure that you're a better person and that at the end of the day, the services that you, you bring to people is the best that it can be. And uh, instead, uh, John, uh, the first kind of topic that we want to go into is why do we take opinions so personally? And as athletes specifically, we, we are exposed to a lot of opinions because at the, at the end of the day, everyone has an opinion. And our opinions do dictate a lot of the, uh, the future for an athlete, especially in football, because football being the largest sport in the world, it's got the most spectators. Everyone's going to have an opinion and opinions uh, can directly influence a player's performance and it can directly influence a player's career. So if you can quickly, you know, dive into why as humans, we take opinions so personally. First thing, to, to kind of simplify or to give you the simple answer, we are wired to care. So if you actually look at it from a kind of brain perspective or on a brain level, we are wired to care. So you are wired to care what other people think. I am wired to care what other people think of myself. And I think in, if you take take a footballer, no matter what level they play, but if you take a professional footballer, they'll walk into the club, there could be a receptionist. They're probably judging that player when they walk through the door on the performance at the weekend or what they said in the press after. They then go into the locker room and they go and see the physio. The physio's judging them with regards to their fitness levels or whatnot. And then through the physio, you meet the first team coach, then you go with the manager, then you go into training, and then you're out on the training pitch and you're playing balls or you're, you're coming to catch crosses, dropping crosses, playing balls out of play or whatever it might be. And if you think at all times an athlete or a professional footballer or even... No matter what level they play, you, as a footballer, you are getting judged all the time. And then you had touched on earlier in the podcast about your LinkedIn following. So with 17,000 people on LinkedIn, without doubt, there's pros to having that size of following. But there's also, if you want to say, cons. So there'll be people saying, thought your performance was great, here's how I can help. Maybe not so much on LinkedIn compared to Twitter, but there'll also be a lot of those people saying... Maybe that wasn't so good, or you're not this, or you're not that. And then if you take it as a, again, go back to the professional level, so the footballer then leaves training, they've had a great day's training, or they've had a terrible day, day's training, and say it's a Friday, the squad's then out for a Saturday, maybe they're not in it, or they're not in the starting lineup. they've got a parent phone in, are you playing? No, I'm not playing, so they're then getting judged. They've got mates saying, why are you not in, or why are you out of position? So again, the mates are judging the situation, they're sitting on social media at night. Again, there could be hundreds of thousands or just hundreds and thousands of people judging them. And then, who knows, they go out on the Saturday and some of the lads I'll work will play in front of 50,000, 60,000 people. And if you take, like, in Scotland, you have the game between Rangers and Celtic, which is the old firm, which is probably one of the biggest games in the world. And there's 50,000, 60,000 people at the time judging them. And then you've got all the people in the stadium judging them, then you've got the people on the television judging them, and then you've got the people on social media. So a player can make... So in Scotland or in Britain, games traditionally kick off at 3 o'clock on a Saturday. If a player makes a mistake at 3.05, you'll probably find there's a clip of that on social media at 3.07. 
you'll find that there's a clip of that or someone's commented about it at 306. So that feedback, those kind of, whether it's criticisms or whether it's kind of positive feedback or whatnot, it is almost absolutely instant nowadays with social media, with camera phones, things like that. But to go back to your original question, we are wired to care. So anybody listening to this, if we're going down the route, if we are if we know we are wired to care, and our approach to opinions or criticism in particular is, don't care about it, that's going against what the brain actually does. The brain cares. Because if we didn't care, why is social media so big? If we didn't care about each other or what other people, why do we upload things on social media? Because we care. The reason social media is so, so big, it's absolutely massive with communities and whatnot, is because we care. And take an athlete, I say this, I tell this story to clients quite often, and it's like Conor McGregor at times, I think, has come across like he doesn't care what anybody thinks. There was a story probably two or three years ago now, Conor McGregor, he has his own whiskey, I think it is. He's walked into a bar in Ireland and said to an old man, do you want a drink of this? And the old man said no, and Conor McGregor's hit him. So I can say to people, and again, that's that's press talk, but there's photos, and I think it went to court and whatnot, but what I'm getting at with that is, if something like Conor McGregor didn't care what other people thought, why would they have clocked the guy after he says, "Don't, I don't want a drink of that whiskey? And you can see it through people... Again, you've got the, if we jump sports just now, take Conor Ben for example. Conor Ben has failed two drugs tests. So I don't know if you follow boxing, Conor Ben is a boxer who's failed two drugs tests. He'd done an interview with Piers Morgan the other day and he, he doesn't care what anybody else thinks of him, but he has taken the comments of, you cannot now comment on his Twitter. So if you didn't care what other people thought, why have you went and stopped people commenting on your social media? That for me doesn't add up. So again, to go back to your original question, we are wired to care. If there's 10 comments, 9 are positive, 1's negative, you will focus on that negative one because your brain, your hardwired negative in your brain is there to kind of keep you safe and pick up threat. So the 9 positive comments aren't going to kill you, the 9 positive comments aren't going to kind of, they're not going to have a negative impact on you, but that one negative comment, your brain's like, there's a threat here, there is a threat, we need to deal with this. Hence why you then focus on that one comment as opposed to the nine positive ones. And again, that could be, as a goalkeeper, you come for ten crosses, you catch nine and take them brilliantly, you drop one. Or as a striker, you get four chances, you score three, you miss one, you'll tend to find you focus on the one that you miss. Why? Because that you, you're normal. If, if you're experiencing that and you're listening to this, you're normal, you're not broken, you are wired to care. Yeah, it's human human psychology it's it's how we how we've adapted you know as human beings it, we've gone from needing to survive and threats and things like this we have to we are programmed to care and uh in in a lot of our previous episodes have been talking about how these days you know it's not where your next meal is coming from it's not necessarily where the biggest threat is it, it's it's we are now trying to use these aspects to actually perform in life so it is it's a difficult shift to uh, adapt to and I, I quickly want to touch on uh, the thing that you mentioned about how if people didn't didn't care about opinions then why are they getting rid of their comment section on Instagram or Twitter things like this and I think it's a really great point because you see a lot of top athletes who are getting rid of the comment sections of their Instagram posts or their 
all of it, they they have limited it. And I think it's an interesting topic because they they are admitting that they don't. Sorry, they are admitting that they do care by taking that ability away, which is interesting, right? Because we all think that oh, they don't care what other people think if they're at the top. But them doing that shows that they do. And it's interesting because I have also looked at this myself and I've realized, okay, there's a lot of goalkeepers who get rid of the ability to um, take the comments away. But Ronaldo, he's someone who keeps all of the comments up. And uh, Messi, he keeps all of his comments up, which I think is a testament to them because they are open to the criticism. But for the goalkeepers that I've seen, Karius, I think, has won. He, he obviously cares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all care, and like, so using names there, like, like Ronaldo, for example. Again, you could say, oh, Ronaldo doesn't care, but he then does an interview with Piers Morgan, so as many people can hear his side of the story as possible. So if he didn't care, he probably wouldn't do that interview. But when, when you take someone like Ronaldo and the following, the size of following he's got, it'll I very much doubt it's going to be him. Can he? running his own social media accounts but what I would say is and this isn't just Ronaldo even lads that I work with that play in front of they might play in front of 7,000 people or 8,000 people you can try as hard as you want to come away from the noise but you'll tend to find it will find you so a player comes off social media and he's like right that's great then his girlfriend goes, oh, did you see what they've written about you? Or a player comes off social media and then their dad forwards them an article or whatnot. And I just think nowadays, like people go on about silencing the noise. I think it's impossible to silence the noise. I think you've got to manage the noise. I don't think, again, when you're going to an elite level, I don't think you can come... I just think nowadays it is so... So many people, everybody has an opinion, but so many people voice it and whatnot that I don't think, as I say, I don't think you can come away from it. I think the noise is going to find you, and I think it's managing it and using it that becomes a big thing. Yeah, 100%. And kind of to even when I was uh, introducing, uh, in the first part of the podcast, we were talking about having a proactive approach, and I think with uh, the mental part of the game, you do have to have a proactive approach, because as you're saying, if you neglect it, eventually it will catch up to you. You can neglect it for quite a while, I'd say, if you're at a low level, but... Eventually, you'll catch up, and then let's say you've been neglecting it for so long, you don't have any strategies or any coping mechanisms or processes to deal with it. This is this is what happens to what I believe happened to Carius is that he never was exposed to any massive negative criticism in his life because he was very talented. He was one of the best footballers in Germany at the time, and then when he was really exposed to it at the top level, which can happen to anyone, right? But he wasn't ready to deal with it. And look what happened. He wasn't able to recover for many, many years. And I mean, we only really seen him in the past few weeks being able to get back in that main stage, which is crazy because he's, it's, he's been out of the game for so long. And it is opinions at the end of the day because he he did, he, of course, that game for him, it wasn't great. But there's players who have had similar games, maybe not as bad, but they've, they haven't let that tarnish their reputation. And it, it's crazy how... the Opinions can dictate someone's future. Oh, Matt, without a doubt, massively. And I think when you talk about Carius there, that's the the magnitude of the mistake or the kind of level that the mistake was made on 
there's millions of people that watch that Champions League final and unfortunately now Karius probably for the rest of his life he might not define himself by that mistake but probably a lot of people will and what and again not let's not kind of hide from it Karius could Karius may have well he may well have done or he may well have worked on his the mental side of his game and dealing with opinions for 10 years up to that point but again the magnitude of it just because he had worked on it for 10 years up to that point, there was no guarantee that he would have true. dealt with it um, in a better way. I do, I, I truly believe that working on it, it increases your chances of dealing with it, but I think we're not, like the human mind, the body, we're not, we're not programmed to operate on those levels. Right. That's no normal. That, like, say, playing in front of, playing in a Champions League final or whatnot, those pressures and whatnot, they're not normal for 99.9% of the world. And when it goes well, fantastic. But unfortunately, when it doesn't go so well, there's nothing that you can. There's nothing you can, can you can really, or very few of us have anything in life to try compare that to. Oh, I can deal with that because I've went through that previously. But when it's your first Champions League final, it's then, oh, it's happened, and there's probably nothing to compare previously to that. Yeah, it, it is crazy. How, I mean, today, uh, if you look back a hundred years ago, this sort of incomprehensible for people to even understand that people could be watching a football game with a hundred million viewers live, and then even afterwards, uh, I think it's it, it have to be a large percentage of the world has probably seen that game, which is crazy to think about. Uh, and Val, if you want to go into the next question for uh, John, we'll, we'll we'll get into that one. For example, when the noise is coming and and a player cares a lot about maybe the mistake he did, what would be some approaches he could implement or strategies he can uh, implement in from your experience or with the players you've worked with already um, to compensate these opinions or um, of being okay with the opinions and trying to find a strategy on how to continue in the future? I think there's there's probably two parts to the question or two parts to the solution or the answer to your question um, and I think quite often what we do is we jump to the what do we need to do here in order to deal with other people's opinions better and I'm a massive advocate of try create the solution before you hit the problem and for no matter whether it's football or hockey or rugby or whatever kind of level someone's playing at listening to this and whether they play sport or not they've probably got to come across an opinion that they don't agree with. Like what I would say, a lot of people say that they don't like being judged or whatnot, but when somebody's telling you you're absolutely amazing, people love that. It's when it's criticism, it's kind of on the other side, so we do like being judged, we do like when people have an opinion, when it kind of, when it's boosting our ego and it kind of marries up with what we think ourselves. It's the flip side that we struggle to deal with. And as opposed to jumping straight to the, what can somebody do or what can I do in order to, deal with people's opinions better I'd kind of look at it more of the who do you need to be that's the big thing I would look at so in order to deal with someone's opinion who do I need to be so in order to somebody, somebody comments about me on social media or somebody's hammering me on social media instead of what do I need to do to deal with that who do I need to be so if in that process right I read that comment and the version of me that's shown up is weak, is timid. Is that 
no matter what I do off the back of that, if I'm showing up as a weak and timid version of myself, and we could insert other words in there, but they were two that sprung to mind, but if I'm being weak and timid in that point, no matter what I do off the back of it, I'm probably going to struggle to deal with that person's opinion. But if I read that opinion and there's a, I don't know, an accepting version of my, um, myself that shows up, whether there's a brave version of myself that shows up or whatnot, I'd come away, I'd come away more from the what do I need to do and I'd be focused more on the who do I need to be in order to deal with this. Because once you've then got the who do I need to be and you've kind of sculpted the who you need to be part, then what you need to do off the back it becomes even more important. And some of the things like people could look at is creating a response so with regards to creating a response is there a I don't know is there a certain music track that you look at or listen to sorry is there a certain picture that you look at is there something that you want to tell yourself is there something you want to remind yourself of is there clips or whatnot that you watch or is it a case of you look at it and go is this person qualified to give their opinion on what they're commenting on because there's, especially Twitter, you've got loads of people that are commenting on something, which is football, and they know very little about in terms of being a professional footballer. And especially with yourself, you're a goalkeeper. So if, you, if you're a goalkeeper, again, that's probably an even more specialist position than outfield. So if you think some people don't know a great deal about outfield um, positions, they'll know even less about goalkeeping. But what I would say is, like, if I'm a goalkeeper, and I've got a guy that's sitting in the pub every Saturday... He knows very little about football and he gives his opinion. Am I going to listen to that? Or am I going to... Am I wanting to take that on board? No. Whereas if I've got... Say Alison, the Liverpool goalkeeper, says something about me, I'm probably going to give more weight to that opinion due to who said that. So I don't think all opinions are equal. And I think you've got to qualify that. Is that person qualified to give... And when I say qualified, I'm not talking about bits of paper and courses and whatnot, but should they... Are they in a position to say what they're actually saying? So whether it's a case of listening to music, whether it's a case of reading something, whether it's a case of your self-talk, whether it's a case of um, can he just not justifying but qualifying the opinion, there is loads of different things that someone can do. But what I would say is you're probably not going to use the same job or sorry, you're probably not going to use the same tool for every job. So the more tools you've got available to you, the more you can go through your toolbox to go, right, I'll try this, or I'll try that, or I'll try that. But I think looking at your beliefs around opinions, do you see somebody's negative opinion? Do you only see unhelpful things from that? Or do you believe that I can use that to grow? I can use that in order to help me. So I'd be looking at my beliefs and then off the back of that, I'd be looking at things, you could be looking to use music, you could be looking at self-talk or whatnot. But I think every every single person listening to this, I would be building a document, or I think they should build a document as um, create the solution before you hit the problem. So if you were to get hammered on social media and you were to read it, what would be your go-to? What would you want to hear? What would you want to see? What would you want to tell yourself at that point? And everybody's will be different but they've then got the document as in, let's go to that document. Because if you if you read you're getting slated on social media or you read a comment about yourself, the chances are it's going to affect how you feel about yourself. At that, It's going to affect how you're feeling at that time. But the key is not to allow it to affect how you feel about yourself as a player and more importantly as a person for going forward. 
So to just kind of summarise that answer I've given, so I realise I'm rabbiting on here. Number one, I'd look at who do I need to be as opposed to what I need to do. And then I'd be looking at my beliefs around opinions. And then off the back of that, that's when I'd be looking at self-talk, music, things like that. But I would correlate that in one document. So you've then got your go-to, right, here's my emergency procedure if I get hammered on social media. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I reckon that the, the point where you uh, say that you need to have the, the toolbox, right? This is something that I know that you have uh, in your course and it's something that you, you really try to promote is having different different tools to deal with different situations. And from, uh, I remember when I when I first did your course in lockdown, I sent you the the big PDF file of my notes and everything like that. And I still use that every day. And I, I go through my processes and I have my toolbox that I work on. And I have one that's with dealing with opinions. It's got pre-narratives. It's got my beliefs, reframe beliefs, all of these different things. And having these tools to deal with different situations is the most important thing because one, you're building up a understanding of who you are as an individual. Something that I always do, whether it's my own uh, pre-narratives, whether it's my own beliefs, whether it's someone else beliefs, whether it's an external opinion, what I always do is I refer back to who I am as an individual with my three morals. Because at the end of the day, as you were saying, with if someone's opinion holds more validity, let's say if I'm getting criticized by someone to, who's at the top of their uh, game, be it a coach or a fellow player, I'm going to give more... Uh, validity to that opinion than almost sitting down at the top and with this it's it's understanding that there's criticism yes you can take things from that and then also having the processes to deal with okay yes let's say if there's 10,000 negative opinions and there's one constructive negative opinion I guess you could say from someone who's higher up unfortunately the 10,000 are probably going to outweigh that one so you do have to have the capability and tools to deal with those head that doesn't because even if they don't mean so much there's going to be a lot of that noise and you do have to have the tools and something that i've learned uh through even your book and uh reinforced by your course is that you do have to have these these values and morals that you stand by as an individual because at the end of the day this is all you as a, as an individual can stand for because for me, mine's professionalism, dedication, and effort, which is something that I hope the viewers would, would know by now because I mentioned it in a lot of episodes. Uh, if I'm getting critiqued by anyone or if I'm getting even, if I'm critiquing myself, I'm always able to think, well, is this aligned with who I am as an individual truly? Is, is this opinion taking into account for my professionalism? Is it taking into account for my dedication? Is it taking into account for my effort? If it is, if it's not, if it, if, if it is taken account of those things, then I know that it's actually a constructive thing because it's pulling me back into line where who I want to be. Let's say it's not got anything to do with those uh, morals. Then I know that this opinion isn't necessarily an opinion that I need to work for because this opinion isn't in alignment with where I want to go. Where I want to go is to be the most professional person there is, the most dedicated person there is, and the most, not effortful, but the most hardworking, I guess is the word that you could uh, sort, uh, sw switch out for that. But these are the things that I want to be the best at. So anyone who is not in accordance to these morals, they don't necessarily get the light of day. Yes, that being said, they still might get the light of day because a lot of noise is, is not easy to silence, right? But 
at the end of the day, if I'm focusing and, and reinforcing this narrative in my head, this new narrative in my head, that these morals are who I am and what I stand for, then you're going down the right path, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And I think the big thing you focused on there is it's internal. It's not an external answer, really. It's internal. Yeah, without doubt, there's things externally you can do in order to help. But once you've, once someone said something or written something, it's then been said, it's then been written, so it then needs to be dealt with, whether it's true, untrue, whether it's been said from a good place, a bad place, or whatnot. But once someone said something or written something, once it's out there, it's out there. Whether it's harsh or not, it then needs to be dealt with. And as I say, that's what I like about your answer, the fact that it's all kind of focusing on self. But what we also need to remember as well is when someone makes a comment, it's like anything I see on this podcast. Some people might listen to this and think, that's a lot of nonsense. That's cool. I'm cool with that. But other people, maybe one or two that listen and go, no, well, I quite like what he's saying. But what I'm saying is coming from my values, my beliefs, my experience and the way that I see the world. And it's just like if someone's listening to this and maybe someone has put a comment on social media about them, that comment or what that person said, whether it's a manager, whether it's a supporter, whether it's a teammate, they're saying it from how they see the world. They're saying, it fr they're saying that thing from their beliefs, from their standards, from their principles and from how they see the world. So someone's comment or someone's opinion, it reflects them. It kind of reflects them as opposed to reflecting you. Yeah. yeah yeah i see that uh with with a lot of the twitter stuff especially because if you look at the most critical people of twitter i mean i don't use twitter myself but because it's such a well-known thing that twitter is an abusive place for football i mean you can see that the people who give the most abuse they have an anonymous profile they don't want to be seen and, and it shows a lot about them because if they were if they were to go out in public and say that they wouldn't say it and yeah, it is indicative to who the person really is. And uh, if we go into the next kind of topic, uh, Val, if you if you go into the next topic with John, we'll, we'll hop into that as well. If we've already started playing with the shackles, and um, how do you start to flip the switch? First of all, what we'll do on that is bring, like playing with the shackles on that, that makes, can I, it's crystal clear in my head what that means. But if we can define what playing with the shackles on actually is, or kind of my definition of it is, it's kind of like a player who knows they want to play forward or that they should play forward, but they play back. A striker that knows he should shoot but cuts back or he should go to the back door in order to get on the cross but decides to hold back so he's not missing. So someone who probably knows what they should be doing, but for whatever reason to them or unbeknown to them, they're not actually doing it. And I think it's... It's tough, without doubt. I think every player experiences that at some point, maybe not every game, but I think if you speak to any player at any level, I think they'll have played with the shackles on at some point. I know that when I played, um, I certainly played with the shackles on, but I think the answer to this will be different for everybody. So if I've got the shackles on, how do I, can I, how do I remove them? And there, there can be answers like, Look at how you would deal with making a mistake or what you would do. If you were to make a mistake, how would you deal with it? What would we hear? What would we tell ourselves? What would our body language be like? So we could look at something like that. But I think with different listeners, the answer would be different. So to make it kind of specific, what I would do, and we'll keep it simple, I'd take a pen and a piece of paper and for someone that's currently playing with the shackles on, 
down the left hand side I'd be looking at right why am I currently playing with the shackles on or why do I currently believe I'm playing with the shackles on what am I telling myself that's leading me to playing with the shackles on what have I experienced and I'm telling myself off the back here that is leading to me playing with the shackles on or what am I doing in order to play with the shackles on and I wouldn't I wouldn't go past five answers for that you might have one you might have two but I think three to five is probably the nice kind of answer and if I'd look at right on the left hand side of this page we've got the reason of why I'm playing with the shackles on and I think if you go deeper into it for the vast majority it will be due to what other people might think of me and then I'd flip those answers so we might not know what we need to do in order to release the shackles but if we know what we are doing that is putting the shackles on we can then flip the answers and execute on the opposite if that makes sense and again when I'm giving these answers they make complete sense to me but I want to make sure that they make sense to the listener so first of all I would look at what is leading me to play with the shackles on or what do I believe is leading me to play with the shackles on what am I telling myself what am I thinking what am I doing that is leading me to playing with the shackles on and then I would flip that because we might not know what we need to do to take the shackles off but we're probably got a right good idea of what's keeping them on or why they're on and then if we take if we flip those answers so I create the opposite and then we execute on that there's a way that we can start to release those shackles but again I think there's a if we look at reasons that the shackles can go on there's probably going to be expectations in there there'll be scrutiny there'll be consequences and when you play in front of a crowd there's going to be scrutiny there's got to be consequences there's got to be expectations and whilst these things go up the more likely the shackles are to go on so we need to manage the scrutiny, manage the expectation, manage the consequences better to then start releasing the shackles. But I do think if you're tomorrow you go into a game and there's 60,000 people, I think there will be an element of the shackles on within your play. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to actually let go of those shackles, especially for, let's say, someone who's going into a professional game for the first time. How do you actually you know take those shackles off it's it's going to be a very very difficult thing and maybe you can't take the shackles off in your first game maybe you, maybe you do have to almost be okay with you kind of having a lot because unfortunately it's not just a flip of a switch it comes from a lot of pre-established work before that because the reason why we play with shackles on and obviously as we're saying it it can be individual to every single person but typically it's because of an external factor like pressure opinions or sometimes it can be an internal pre-narrative that you might have this could be many uh more not immediate but it could be a quicker kind of flip because you can work on yourself a lot a lot easier than you can work on external things but these these things can really dictate performance and everything like this and uh this this could relate to any aspect of life either let's say for business if you're trying to make a business decision but you've got your bosses looking down at every decision that you make you're going to be very very reluctant and you might not be able to express your true your true opinion your true self because you are with the shackles and and this will this will tie you down and i think the example that you gave of you know writing down just creating that self-awareness of why the shackles have come on is is really important because some people might not even be self-aware to realize that they've got the shackles on and i honestly think that a lot of professional footballers if not Every single professional footballer has played with the shackles on, and if not, they still 
they still are kind of laying with the line to a degree. Uh, and it comes through a lot of mental skill to actually really develop the ability to take them off and to sustain taking them off because it only takes one mistake for you to put them back on. And we, we know how easy it is to make a mistake in football because you're going to make plenty of mistakes in a game. Yeah, definitely. And the kind of a simple example would be there's maybe a player who's training and through training they're just they're experiencing freedom, they're hitting everything that's there to be hit, they're playing forward, they're expressing themselves, they're like and then they go in on a Saturday and it's like in front of thousands of people and it's like, why am I not performing to the same level on a Saturday that I do Monday to Friday? Or I don't feel like I do Monday to Friday on a Saturday. Why is that? The shackles are on, there's there's pressure. Again, go back to your, the scrutiny, the consequences, the expectation, the eyes on you and whatnot. It's if you miss a chance in training, another ball gets thrown in and you go again. Or you you go back to the start and you start the drill again or whatnot. If you give the ball away, somebody might shout, but if the goal goes in, right, get the ball at the net, let's go. Whereas on a Saturday, if a goal goes in... And there's thousands of people standing behind you or there's thousands of people they're then chanting, booing or whatever it might be. The pressure's different, the shackles are on. And I think there's every player, without doubt, every single player, your Ronaldo's, your Messi's, all these guys, at times, without doubt, they will still experience the shackles being on. But they'll have more experiences, they'll probably have different reference points in order to release them a wee bit quicker than maybe someone who is playing in your example, um, an internet, or a, sorry, a competitive debut. Yeah, yeah. Val, I want to see if uh, you could give a personal anecdote where you've actually seen yourself flip, because I think that relating this to viewers is going to be a very important aspect because they might be stuck thinking, okay, what's the necessary action to take, right? And I think that the only necessary action to take is, is from within, really. Uh, but Val, if you can give a, an example where Maybe you're on trial. Maybe it's making that first step in training. Uh, Val, Val's recently signed, well, not recently, but signed a professional team in the Greek second division. And uh, unfortunately, with injuries, he hasn't been able to make his debut yet. But this is something that uh, Val's working to at the moment. And we, I mean, for him to make his debut, naturally, the shackles are going to come on. Now, Val, if you can give a personal anecdote to where you've seen the shackles come on or if you've had to take them off, I think they'll be great for our listeners to understand uh, with a personal anecdote. Yeah, so i give you a very, very recent example actually from yesterday. So I was, I had my first match day with the squad. Uh, we went uh, to an away game three hours away against a very, very good team. And uh, it was my first time uh, training with the, uh, with the team on a consecutive basis. Uh, we've been training for a month, a month roughly, because our league was suspended due to financial reasons, and it just picked up again. So we prepared for our game, and basically, I knew that I wouldn't want to start the game uh, because my coach, uh, I'm the youngest center back in my squad, and he has a very, very unique approach to to coaching, and. Um, which I don't really like uh, on on a like a personal level. He screams a lot. Uh, he puts a lot of pressure on myself. It's my first year training professionally in this kind of environment, and uh, I do sometimes try to not take it too seriously or get get uh, get uh, or for his words to get under my skin because it it still hurts. I still care about what he says, 
Um, but for example, yesterday in yesterday's game, um, in the 60th minute, she put me out uh, to go to warm up, and I was really excited. Where I first, well, when I was sitting on the bench for the first 60 minutes, I was sweating. I was like, oh, if I come in, what what should I do? I don't want to make any mistake. But then, uh, actually, I went out to to start warming up and uh, just doing my usual warm-up routine with my athletic coach and whatsoever. So uh, getting into the routine, the the uh, the routine of, of warming up, it just felt normally, like we always do on a regular training basis. And uh, for me, that, that kind of cooled me down. I've tried to focus on myself, that I will warm up properly, that I, I tried to go through my match script, that I put myself out. We've uh, talked about it in a recent episode. So with that, um, and my three points, for for example, where that I set myself are um, my positioning, that I, I'm always correct in my positioning, that I'm aggressive towards the ball defending, and that I play simple. Because in the past few weeks, comparing it to my youth seasons uh, in, the, in the past, and to where I'm currently at, playing football has changed a lot because in the professional men's um, level, I would consider playing a simple game as more effective than trying to um, be the next Virgil van Dijk in my situation because Virgil van Dijk is a very strong player on the ball. He likes to dribble. He likes to play so, uh, some riskier balls, but he can do it. He has already proved himself to be worthy of those situations. But my for myself... I do a lot of mistakes still also in training um, where I try to do too much and then I get off, off guard. Uh, I, I put myself down mentally because it's not working for myself, but I know that I have these, uh, but that I can do it. And from my experience yesterday, I was glad to be in the squad, but I was also nervous to get on. I didn't know how it felt because I've never been in this situation. So I think that was the shackle before I had the shackle on when I was sitting on the bench. I was sweating. I didn't know what was going to happen. But then as soon as I stepped on to the sideline trying to warm up, uh, I basically gave, freed myself a little bit. And because I got into the normal routine, I was not thinking about what's happening in the game. Uh, but I was just uh, focusing on the current moment, me warming up and trying to be ready. Unfortunately, it didn't come to my debut, which I'm a little bit bummed about. But I will keep on working, uh, keep on working with this coach for now. We don't know what the situation with the league, if the league is going to be suspended completely uh, or not. That's uh, nothing I can affect. It's an external factor. And I'm just trying to focus on the next session tomorrow and uh, hopefully to get my debut and some minutes because this is vital for my, my future career. And I, I want to uh, not stay here. I want to also plan the, the ladders. So, yeah. No, good man, and I think the main thing that basically what you've done, and I've actually spoke, I've spoke to two or three people about this over the last week or two, and if you think about it, if you take, if we take any, if we talk about pressure, quite often it's the night before the game, the morning of a game, or sitting on the bus going to the game where you experience the most pressure, you're in the changing room again, there's a bit of pressure there, but as you start to go into the warm-up, for some players it can ease, again for some players it can still be quite high but the vast majority of players that I work with the point that that pressure starts to release or lessen or whatever the right word or whatever word someone wants to use is when the referee blows that first whistle but if you think about the night before the game, the morning of, on the bus or whatnot, you're projecting into the future and probably thinking about what could go wrong 
So you're kind of focusing on the outcome. You're very outcome-based in your thinking. You're probably focusing on vulnerabilities. But once that referee's whistle goes, I think you'd actually use the term, you came into the here and now, you came into the present. So instead of focusing on the outcome and our vulnerabilities, we then came back into the present and we're focusing on our strengths. And that's what that first whistle does. But again, if a player knows that that's what his experience is, if his if the, a player's experience aligns with what I've just said there, you can then use that as well as a reference point, knowing, right, the night before a game or the morning of a game, I experience a bit of pressure, but I know when the referee blows that first whistle or in the warm-up or whatnot, that's where it's, it starts to tend to kind of relieve itself there and then I come more into the present. And if ah, the night before in the morning off might be uncomfortable for you, but if you know once that referee blows that first whistle, you tend to be cool, you can use that as a reference point in order to help you for going forward, in order to handle the pressure, and those shackles be numb. Uh, for example, for me, um, at, at, as you just touched base on the fact that many players get nervous the night before or, or on the, the, the morning of the game or match day, for me it was kind of different actually. If, um, I was not stressed or nervous or had any pressure at all because I knew going into the game I wouldn't start off the game. I didn't even know. I knew from past experiences my coach doesn't substitute a lot, uh, does changes. So I already went in with the consideration of maybe not playing. The worst uh, uh, possible outcome for me would be that I would sit on the bench for 90 minutes. As soon as I it hit the 60 minute and my coach told me, oh yeah, there's maybe a possibility of me going in, my pressure kind of uh, disappeared because in that moment I was just focused on trying to warm up and um, it suddenly got real. And that's when I tried to like, go into my focus state and try to prepare for the game ahead. Uh, so the morning of the game, I just went through my normal routine, eating a nutritious uh, breakfast, but I didn't really think about uh, about the game too much because I already knew that I'm maybe not one of the first 11 squads. Um, but I think it's very interesting how different players approach this, this match day. And um, I, I think, Val, what you've kind of explained there is you've gone from a predictive... Uh, mindset where you are trying to predict the future. Our brains are prediction machines, right? We're always constantly trying to predict what's left, but unfortunately, we don't have a crystal ball in front of us. And about what you've done there is, I think you've gone <laughs> from you're trying to predict the future to anxiety. You're, you're nervous about things that maybe you you can't control in the current moment. And then when you're you kind of you know hit with that reality that oh, it's really happening. You've gone to your process goals, which you've listed in your match script, uh, which we talked about with Dan. And these things, uh, which I, I've talked about with Joe before with your process goals, these things can help you refocus in the moment. This helps you be recentered. You can focus on the controllables, not control, not focusing on external uh, outcomes such as winning the game, but focusing on the things that you can do right now that will help you win the game. This will help you focus now. It will help you focus on what's important. And this will help you not predict the future because what's the one thing we that everyone can do right now is, is control the right right now. That's all we can do because I can't control what's happening in the future. I can't control what happened. I can't control what happened two seconds ago, but I can only do that through focusing through what I'm doing right now. And that being said, uh, we're almost at the hour mark. So uh, we'll quickly uh, wrap up that topic about opinions i think we've definitely touched on all up there and there's been definitely a lot of golden nuggets that we could take out of that 
and uh, a lot of really good personal anecdotes as well through some of the players that John's worked with uh, through Val just then. Uh, so there's definitely lots of information, but I think the main thing that we have to reiterate is that it all comes from within and it comes from your, your, your toolbox that you've got. Your toolbox that you've got to deal with any event, any opinion, any pre-narrative. All of these things, have to, the solution is from within. So, John, the final question that we have for all of our guests and for you today is what are three ways that you sculpt yourself on a daily basis or three ways that you even get your, your athletes, the people you work with, to sculpt themselves on a daily basis? I'll give two that I use and then I'll think of one that the the athletes that I work with, what I'd maybe ask them to do, but probably two things that stick out to me. I'm very kind of systematic in the way that I think. So I'll always look at, right, where am I trying to get to? And then I'll break it back down to the here and now as in, right, what do I need to do today in order to no guarantee get there, but just kind of help me in that and going in that direction. So I'm very... I'm very kind of here and now based with what I do, not just in business, but in life. And when I say here and now, I'm no robot. So it does, at times you do think of the future, but I'm very much in the day. Like what I've got tomorrow in the diary, I don't have a clue. I'll open my diary tomorrow or maybe later tonight and I'll have a look tomorrow. I'll nail today and then I'll I'll move on to tomorrow. So I'm very kind of process driven and very kind of processed in my thinking rather than being caught up in an outcome. Now, what I would say on that, though, that has... That works for me, that works for my life and where I'm at just now. But it's like anything, there's pros and cons to that. So being kind of process-driven over outcome-driven, that's one thing. Another thing I'm doing just now, um, I'm running 5k a day. So I sat, I started at the start of the year there. We have a thing, and again it's to do with rugby, but there's a guy called Doddy Weir in Scotland, so he was an international rugby player with Scotland, and unfortunately he he got MND, so motor neuron disease, which is basically a muscle wasting disease, and in Scotland, I thought it was for four weeks, but it turns out for the first six weeks every year, there's like an awareness drive on motor neuron disease, so there's like a tartan, and you can wear a snood and whatnot, and basically you commit to doing, whether it's certain miles, certain exercises, through the first six weeks of the year. I thought it was just January, so I committed to doing 5k a day in January. And then when it got to the end of January, I realised it was another two weeks. I'd done the other two weeks and somebody's like, what are you going to do now? So I kept it going another couple of days just to buy myself that little bit of time. And now I think I'm coming up for 70 odd 80. So the target now is to do a 5k a day for a year. So that's kind of, I'm sort of sculpting myself that way, I'd say. Yeah. And as for what I would get clients to do, a massive one, maybe not necessarily on a daily basis, and I do this at times, but certainly like to going into games, like checking in with yourself. So kind of creating a self-awareness, checking in with yourself. It's not for any reason to, that tool there is basically self-awareness. So it's like self-aware, right? Where are you actually at going into this game? Where are you actually at? What are we telling ourselves it's helpful? What are we telling ourselves it's unhelpful? Do we continue can he be in this version of ourselves or do we need to change the version of ourselves now for what we're going into the game? But checking in with yourself, which for me just creates massive self awareness around where you're at and just make sure that your check in is honest. You're not trying to be a version of you that you want to be at this point. 
it's exposing the version of you that is actually showing up. So once you've got, right, I've got a check-in, here's who I'm being, here's what's happening, you can then work on, right, I'm going to progress with that and continue with being this version, or right, I need to change two or three things. So check-in would be the third one, and I use it at times, but 100% I encourage all clients as well. Yeah, it's it's really cool to hear, you know, uh, the processes that you have for your clients, just creating that self-awareness because without self-awareness, a lot of people won't take action because they don't know what the problem is. And so just creating self-awareness, whatever it is, positive or negative, it's it's always good to be self-aware. And I think everyone needs to improve that self-awareness because, you know, even as an individual myself, I believe that I am self-aware. I, I believe that I'm very self-aware, but I'm, I'm self-aware enough to realize that I'm not self, not the best at being self-aware. So I... For everyone, it's very important to create self-awareness because it's the only way you can start taking action because without the awareness, you know, you're just stuck. You don't really know what's uh, needing needing to be done. So that being said, um, John, absolute pleasure to have you on today. Uh, it was it was really amazing to hear, you know, the way that our, our listeners can sculpt themselves and, and start to understand how opinions can uh, be... They can, they can be, they actually can be attacked and uh, they can be reconstructed to, you know, not necessarily hinder us or benefit us. It's sometimes it can just be noise and these things don't come easily. It comes through processes and things that you have from within, but it's having the toolbox and the toolkit to deal with these things. And at Sculpted, this is something that we really, really want to convey because at the end of the day, it, it does come from within and yeah again thank you so much it was it was, it was another happy one and for for me you know i, I appreciate everything uh, that you've you've helped me with and i hope that we could just share that to our listeners today and thank you again and val is there anything that you want to quickly say before we close no not really just uh i, I really found uh, the the shackles analogy interesting and um, for the listeners to take with i personally took uh, this part away from the podcast and i'm i'm very thankful for john to be here today thank you for having me boys and hopefully it might be a podcast that comes with subtitles if you ever do the audio on the screen maybe we might need subtitles but apologies if i have spoken too fast at times but no thank you for having me on lads yeah that was an honor thank you so much i really appreciate your time